Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark, and this is E3, and this is the last week of Fierce Landscapes, where we are going uh, through the desert with the Israelites from their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Uh, a journey that is about 100 miles, uh, or uh, if you just go straight. Uh, but they took 40 years taking lap after lap around the desert. And I think there's a lot we can learn from the Israelites. I think a lot of times that we find ourselves in the desert and we choose to take lap after lap because we want to figure it out ourselves. We want to be the captains of our own destiny. It is a universal truth that at some point we will be in the desert which represents dryness that can be spirituality, spiritual dryness. We'll be in the desert where we're relationally dry. We'll be in the, in the desert where we will feel like we are constantly in need, but also in the desert that we meet God, that we meet God who says, I am here, that I want to walk with you in the desert to help you emerge to the blessing. Today, as uh, we get to, the, get to the promised land, or at least get to the border of the promised land, and we see the, the conclusion of Moses' ministry, a lot of themes in, in today's Scripture I've been being constantly reminded about uh, in my own life. And that's just that I'm not a spring chicken anymore, and uh, hopefully I have many years left in, in front of me, but, but just kind of really thinking about, you know, life and ministry and what life is about. It's funny, it seems like everywhere I turn, I am confronted with this, uh, this reality that, that this is not all that there is. In fact, I coach a junior cycling team, and yesterday we were out uh, at, at uh, a race. And the DJ out there uh, for, you know, all the juniors coming up, you know, he's playing all this kind of uh, music like uh, Pitbull and, and all this, and, you know, we're like, doo, 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 and everything. And uh, yesterday was the first uh, race that I was going to race in the 45-plus category. And we got up there, and we got all lined up, and the DJ starts playing the Grateful Dead. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, everybody's got jokes, right? You know, uh, but there, you know, just another reminder that, that, you know, life is precious, and, and that everyone has a birth date and an expiration date, Right? And what comes in the middle is what we often see on tombstones, and that's the hyphen. I was thinking about this idea of the hyphen and, and, and the tombstone, and I was looking at some different tombstones. Uh, some are funny, Mel Blanc, that, uh, that's all folks. You know, he was the Porky Pig voice and Bugs Bunny and, and all of that. Born in 1908 hyphen, 1989 was his uh, death. And his hyphen there is man of a thousand voices, beloved husband and father. That's his hyphen. Some others are, 
are, you know, different. You have Merv Griffin, uh, who's a comedian, and uh, his is, I will not be uh, right back after these messages, <laughs> right? And, and that's his hyphen. And Doc Holliday, you know, this one, here's a man that his hyphen is he died in bed. That was probably the only thing that they could come up with that could go on that tombstone. And the reality is that that this hyphen isn't really a hyphen. It's the sum total of your life. And I was going along, and I can't even see the hyphen on Jim Morrison's uh, tombstone, but you kind of see his hyphen where other, if somebody did this to your loved one's graves, you would call it desecration and, and you'd be quite upset. But this is Jim Morrison's legacy, right? Of, of excess and, and, and graffiti and uh, things like that. Uh, and, you know, as someone who loves uh, the music of The Doors and, and everything, but just the life of Jim Morrison was a, really a tragic one. And I think that this idea of hyphen... We don't really. We don't have any control of our, our the first date. None of us were asked to be born. No one was consulted on what you know what sign you want to be or or anything. Right? I mean, all that was taken care of beforehand. And for most of us, we. We don't have a say in our expiration date. We don't have a say in our death. And that's where we come in the middle, the hyphen. What is that line going to mean? What is that lifeline going to mean between birth and death? One of the saddest things that I see when I go to a funeral or I I do a funeral, is the hyphen becomes very clear. There's something about funerals that bring clarity about somebody's life. And it's so sad when somebody passes away and they led a selfish life, a life about them, about their comfort, about their well-being, about their wants, their desires, their needs. Because the place is usually empty. Maybe there's a couple of people, but there's no one really there to celebrate their hyphen. Because their hyphen only amounted really to that hyphen being a vertical mark. Their life was about one, and that was themselves. You see, at the end of the day, our hyphen does not matter what kind of car you drove or what house you lived in or what zip code or what tax bracket. All that matters is who you loved and who loved you. And funerals and memorials are not always sad. In fact, some of them are so beautiful of a celebration of someone's life. 
I remember when I first came uh, here about, it was a year or so, and, and Pastor Dan's father had, had passed away, Carol's husband, who was in the first gathering, and I had never met Pastor Dan's father. But I left that memorial feeling sad, not for the family or for him, but sad that I missed being in an encounter with such an amazing man. A man whose hyphen meant something. A man whose hyphen left a legacy. And that's really what we're talking about. That we as followers of Christ have been invited into a larger story. It is the story of our faith. Not what we have, but what we give. Not what we have, but what we invest in. Not what we have, but who we loved and loved well. Who we showed grace to. Who we forgave. Who did we speak words of encouragement into? Who did we encourage to take one more step when they didn't believe that they could go any farther? And that takes our hyphen and changes it into something completely different. And we'll get to that. But before we do, can you turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 34? Because in this scripture, we're talking about Moses' hyphen. He's coming to the end of his life. He had an extraordinary life by anybody's measure. And that it says that Moses went up to Mount Mount Nebo, the the plains of Moab, and, and climbed Pisgah Peak which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land, the promised land, the land of milk and honey. This is what they've been working for, 40 years in the desert. This was when he left his comfort zone, when he left being a shepherd, when he answered the call of the burning bush, when he went into front of Pharaoh and he said, I was given one thing to tell you, let my people go. And they went. And they went through the desert. And they did lap after lap after lap for 40 years. And finally, God calls them up to the top of Pisgah Peak and surveys the whole promised land. And then the Lord said to Moses, this is the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. Okay, time out. Put Pastor Mark aside and have Mark the man, okay? This is the bad pastor. Are you kidding me? I answered a burning bush. I left my comfort and my happiness and my 
control and I laid down my staff and you had me pick up my staff and lay down the staff and the snakes and all this kind of stuff. I never questioned it. Then you told me to go and, you know, I'm a stuttering fool, but I went in front of Pharaoh and I was able to spew out, let my people go. And then all of these plagues and all this terrible stuff happened. And then I've been in the bleeding desert for 40 years and now you take me up to Pisgah Peak? and say, hey, look at the promised land. You're there, buddy. You're not going in. I got a real problem with that. That's a raw deal. It's a raw deal if you look at it, if the story was about Moses. But this story is not about Moses. This story is about God. This story started way before Moses and lasted way beyond Moses. This story started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That this story began when some guy named Abram in the land of Ur, right, answered the call of God to be a blessing to the nations. And God made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's reminding Moses, dude, this was never about you. This has always been about me and my vision for restored relationship with my creation. And you have served me well. But it is time for you to pass. Verse 5, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord said. The Lord buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab. But to this day, no one knows the exact place. And then in verse 7, we're given Moses' hyphen. Check it out. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear and he was as strong as ever. There had, verse 10, there had never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miracles, miraculous signs, and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. That's a fat hyphen. That his epitaph, that, that it wasn't he died in his bed. It wasn't I will not be back. It was something larger. And we're going to find out what was larger because this man's life meant something. Because, you know what, he extended the story of God. The story that began or continued with Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, and then he took his part, and he did it well. 
And then in verse 8, we're told that the people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. I think this is so important. You know what? There is honoring leaders, and it is okay to mourn their passing. And this is true with loved ones and friends. But there's a customary period. And the reality is that we have to move forward. And this is exactly what happened in verse 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And this is the beautiful thing, that Moses served well. But Moses didn't just do it as an independent leader, but he breathed life into future generations. He laid his hands, he brought his wisdom and instilled his wisdom into Joshua. Do you think Joshua would have listened to the Lord or had the capability to lead the nation of Israel when they came down out of, out of the desert, out of Moab, into the land of milk and honey, and the first thing that they ran into was what? Jericho. And when the angel of the Lord visited Joshua and said, Josh, this is what I need you to do. I need you to walk around this and blow trumpets and all of this kind of stuff. And Joshua, as a green recruit, was not so green because he was able to draw upon the wisdom that, that Moses had instilled in him, the training that Moses had given him, the legacy that Moses was to Joshua. And Moses' legacy lived on through him. And this is the beauty of being part of God's story. Because when our hyphen is turned 90 degrees and it's a number one and we just think about ourselves, that's all our life will ever amount to. If your life is just about yourself and what you can collect and your comfort and your, your prosperity, then you know what? That's all you'll get out of life. And again, nobody in the end is going to care what model car you drove, where your zip code was, they're going to remember you by what you've, they invest, you invested in them. One of the most beautiful stories of a spiritual legacy and leadership in Scripture, at least in my opinion, is in a uh, final letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to Timothy, his protege or, or uh, protege or, or, or whatever. It's found in 2 Timothy in, in chapter 4, in verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. 
For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to the sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. And then Paul so eloquently adds his epitaph, his, his hyphen. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. See, Paul understands what the meaning of life is. Paul understands that his life was to be an offering poured out to God. But not just poured out into the sand, but poured out into others, which he did. He poured his life into Timothy because Paul understood that it was not about him, that his hyphen was correctly orientated. It was not about looking out for number one, but it was pouring your life into others to bring to resolution the vision of restoration that God has always had for His people. Unfortunately, some settle for a very thin hyphen, very shallow hyphen between a date and another date. But for a follower of Christ, for a fully devoted follower of Christ, for a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, we don't have that option. Because as a follower of Jesus, we are called to pour out our lives as an offering, to lay hands on the next generation and instill and instruct them. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, we are reminded, for you are made of, from dust, and to dust you will return. And while this is true, between now and then, between dust to dust, between date hyphen date, we have a life to live. We have art to create. We have a passion to share. We have bridges to build. We have grace to be shown. We have paths to be forged toward love and hope and acceptance and empowerment. And our mission as fully devoted followers of Christ are to relentlessly pursue the vision that Jesus Christ has for us and if we are courageous enough to accept that mission and brave enough 
to act upon it. That we will be able to not find self-fulfillment, but we will be able to find fulfillment in being part of the story of God. Where we someday will stand and have a choice. Is it going to be about my will? Or is it your will, Lord, be done as it is on earth and in heaven? Because ultimately, we as followers of Christ are to follow and leave a wake that sows love and invitation to be part of the greatest story ever told. The love of a God and His creation and His perfect weakness of never letting us go and always inviting us to respond to his call. You guys pray with me.